who's worthy. And it's so easy to come in and to be distracted by what's been going on or, or what you're facing right now. But in that time of worship, because you're surrounded by others who are doing it. See, I, I really believe that our time here together in corporate worship is just an overflow, an outflow. <clears throat> and please hear my heart of how we live every day. I don't believe that worship, corporate worship, is a prime that has to get you ready so that you can hear the Word of God. If it is, that means that, that you're lacking in intimacy. <laughs> Please don't hear this as condemnation. That's not my heart at all. If anything, it's an invitation. Because there's more. There's more, and it's not about feeling goosebumps. It's not about shouting or running laps. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. And the more that we see Him, and the more that we acknowledge who He is through worship, when we go, God, you're worthy, and there's none worthy but you, that before time was, you were. And you are right now. God, you are worthy, always worthy. And from that, Praise is birth. When we worship by acknowledging who he is, that's where the real reverence of the Lord comes in. When we acknowledge through worship, and the word worth means to, worship means to add worth to. It doesn't mean that we make God worth more. It just means that his value in our eyes raises. And from a heart of worship, praise will break forth. And praise is just telling him who he is to you. Worship is acknowledging who he is. Are you with me? I hadn't, taught, I hadn't planned on teaching on worship this morning, but it's just big in me, and we're going to go there. <clears throat> but so what comes out of worship is praise, and that's when we just begin to acknowledge who he is to me. Worship is acknowledging who he is. Praise is acknowledging who he is to me. It's just yesterday, uh, just a, an example, I don't, I don't worship Tina, but I praise her because of <clears throat> what she means to me. And yesterday, we were there at, at the house, and we stayed in the house all day long. It was wonderful. And if you know me, that's just not me. That is not me. I am. I'm, I did go to the store first thing in the morning and got some good old turkey bacon for us to cook up. <laughs> and then I came back in the house about 9.30 or so and stayed in all day long. And we were there and. Uh, we weren't dressed up. We weren't all fixed up. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> we was in our stay in the house all day Saturday look, right? And Tina had cooked, and I told her, I said, babe, you're just beautiful. I just love you. Thank you so much. We didn't eat out. We didn't go out. We cooked everything right in the house. You know you can do that? <laughs> Some people are like, snap, you can do that? <clears throat> That's what them stove things are for. <laughs> and, I just, and, and I just told her what she meant to me. I was just thanking her for what she meant to me and just for the privilege that we had to just be together all day. Now, there were times she was doing her thing, and I was off in my office studying and stuff like that. But we were there, and we, we got to be together all day long. And I thought, how much more does he want us aware of his presence with us every day? And the more that we acknowledge that presence, the more we understand his love. Are you with me? 
It's not that he loves us more. His, his love is forever the same. He is love. That's who he is. It's not what he does. But as we acknowledge that, we're able to, to partake of deeper levels of intimacy with him the more that we know him. Does that make sense? And in, in worship, there's that divine exchange. When we're setting our eyes on him and his love is pouring into us. I've uh, <clears throat> been reading a book, and uh, I'm about halfway through it, uh, that uh, Nathan and Katie gave me. And uh, in there, one of the things in there it talks about is worship. And uh, I just read it. It's actually a paperback book, too. And I'm reading it. That's pretty cool. It's not on my iPad. But I did take a picture of it so I can read to you. (laughs) (laughs) Because these are things that that I've pressed into here as the pastor of this church and just saying, all right, God, I know that we're not like everybody else, and I'm good with that. (laughs) I really am. But I don't want to be doing my thing. You know, I've talked to you before about there's a difference in leading and taking a walk. If you think you're leading and you look behind you and you're by yourself, you're not leading. You're just taking a walk. (laughs) And there are times that that we do that. You know, we're just full of thinking we got all that in a bag of chips and we're leading and we look behind and there's nobody following us. Guess what? (laughs) You are not leading anybody. You're taking a walk. You might be having fun on your walk but you're not leading anyone. If you're leading, there will be people behind you. And it's easy when you get caught up to just go from a walk to a run and just leave everybody behind. <laughs> and that's not my heart. But I want to read this to you. <clears throat> this is in, uh, in this book, The Spirit-Filled Church. He says, we must, not, we must not worry that this kind of worship, and he, he's just talking about extravagant worship. He's talking about how his church went from very, and the, the, the writer is from uh, England, so from that European culture where church is very formal. And he talked about when they began to really press into intimacy with the Lord and began to encounter him in worship, it was, it was different. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's different than three hymns in a choir selection, right? And there's nothing wrong with three hymns in a choir selection, if you, get, if you acknowledge who, if you can get into intimacy with him and understand who he is, praise the Lord. <clears throat> but he said, we're not to worry that this kind of worship is not seeker-friendly. I have non-Christian friends who have come to our Sunday morning worship and said to me, we just cried. What did we touch? <clears throat> what did we touch? Unbelievers, what did we touch? This question, he said, what did we touch? What was that? This question came from a successful businessman of many years standing, a tough man of the world. When we worship, we want the unsaved to feel the impact and know that God is there. See, our worship is not entertainment. It's not, you know, you won't hear male say, okay, on this next verse, let's just raise the roof. It's not about raising the roof. Are you with me? 
It's not going to happen. We're not about raising the roof. We'll blow it all. <laughs> this is good. He said, once we hired a holiday camp for teens and 20s week, the employees of the camp were amazed at the life and joy expressed in our praise and worship. It's a pity the church isn't like this, they said. We were able to tell them a number of churches that were very much like that. They, the unconverted could see the need for new wineskins to contain the life of these young people who were thrilled and filled with God. Hundreds of non-Christians filled two adjoining halls, one being used for a disco, the other for a boxing match. The manager expressed his concern for us when he asked, What about the noise? We replied, They would just have to put up with it. Uh, that's good. The manager was worried about the disco and the boxing match being too much noise for them. And the guy said, the writer, Terry said, Virgo said, they just have to put up with it. That's what our neighbors have to do on Sunday morning. They just have to put up with it. Oh, uh, not only did they put up with it, but pressed their faces against the window of our meeting hall to witness the life there. Uh, and then he says this, one Sunday, about 400 praised God and sang and celebrated on Brighton Seafront. They could, they could be heard from quite a distance away. Many stopped to listen and take literature. On arriving a little late, I parked my car in a nearby street. A couple passed me, uh, passed me wanting to discover what the, joyful sound, sin, scene, what the joyful scene was about. It sounds as though the pubs have turned out, they said. It was not an enemy of the church who recorded that their first public meeting looked, uh, looked like a crowd of drunks. Dr. Luke, speaking of Acts chapter 2, seems neither embarrassed nor ashamed of this seemingly insulting comparison. We are exhorted not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18. He said that Dr. Luke wasn't afraid, wasn't embarrassed, nor give it give apologies when writing about what happened in Acts chapter 2. And you know, that's why I say this is not just another day. As we were worshiping, man, the presence of the Lord just began to minister to my heart, and he took me back to that. You know, in Acts chapter 2, and if, you, if you're wondering why I'm stuck there, is because I really want us to be a church that's based from the Bible, not from tradition. I really want us to be what he gave as blueprint to what it should look like. And so, if we want to know what that is, the best place to go is the birthplace. What are the roots, the thing, how did it start? And we see that in Acts chapter 2. And as I was studying this week, the Lord spoke this to my heart. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is not a charismatic doctrine. It's the birthing of the church. It's been reduced to a charismatic doctrine that, oh, the Holy Ghost, and that's what them charismatics believe. But no, what did Jesus say? He said, go wait in Jerusalem till what? You be endued with power. He said, you go wait until Holy Spirit comes, because when he comes, then you'll be equipped to do this thing I've called you to do. Right? 
So it's not a charismatic doctrine. It can be reduced to that, but it's not. It's literally the blueprint for the birthing of this thing we call the body of Christ. It couldn't be done without Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just uh, the, the salvation experience. It wasn't when the Holy Spirit came into them. It was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of Holy Spirit. Because in John 20, John 20, verse 22. You there? Say Amen. And when he had said this, all right, verse 21. If you there, say amen. <laughs> so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I what? I also send you. And when he had said this, he did what? He breathed on them and said to them what? Receive the Holy Spirit. So here in John chapter 20 and verse 22, we see Jesus, the author of life, the creator Right? Wasn't, nothing, wasn't anything made that was made without him. Right? So we see the creator, <clears throat> the man who formed the first man. Now, as he did with the first man, he breathed life into Adam. Right? Are you with me? <clears throat> so here, the new birth takes place. He breathes into them. How can the new birth take place? Because he had died and resurrected. Are you with me? So here in John 20, 22, we see Jesus breathing on them and them receiving the Holy Spirit. So they weren't waiting on the day of Pentecost for the Holy Spirit to live in them. What they were waiting for on the day of Pentecost was the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon them. To baptize them, to, to uh, empower them with power from on high. Now, as I was looking at this... Um, The Lord began to take me through different, different passages of Scripture. And uh, um, something that really began to highlight to me, and I've said this before, is the, um, that Holy Spirit is not Jesus, Jr., it's not like there was the Father, then there was the Son, and now because Jesus is in heaven, we get Holy Spirit. Are you with me? It wasn't a downplay. He's equal. They're three in one, and you'll never understand it all with your mind. If you think you got it figured out, you're wrong. But as I was studying this in more detail, as I've been really looking into what the church looked like when it started. See, this is not just another day because on that day, the day of Pentecost, they were there. He had told them, go wait until you be endued with power. So they were gathered like every other day, but there was something different about that day. Because it was that day as they were there that Holy Spirit was poured out and their lives were forever changed. We see it in just one, and we've heard this over and over and over again, but Peter, here's a man who first when he got freaked out about this whole thing going down that Jesus had told him was going to go down, he whips out a, uh, a sword and was cut Malcolm's ear off, right? Then he's by the fire, and the, the lady says, aren't you one of those? He said, no. Nah. He denied him, what? Not once, not twice, but... Three times he did. I, and the Lord had told him that was going to happen. He said, nope, never happened. I'll die for you. He went it. That's why he drew the sword. <laughs> right? <clears throat> this Peter, who 
denied the Lord three times, was afraid. On the day of Pentecost is the one who stood up and said, hey, these guys aren't drunk like you think they are. But this is the promise that Joel talked about, that in the last days he was going to pour out his spirit. This is what we've been waiting for. The same man who had denied him is the man who stood up. So we see a marked difference when this day of Pentecost happened. And in Acts, it's the, it's the birthing of a body, and it's called the church. It's a birthing of this body because it was the empowering of us to be able to do what he called us to do. Galatians chapter 4. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 says this. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Right? Is that what it said? Yes, no? And because you are a son. You know what is so cool? It's the, song, the songs that we sung today was this. I mean, it was, I was singing. I was like, this is amazing. And, uh, you know, that just, this is just how blessed we are. Mel and I don't go over. I don't say, here's my notes, sing something that goes along with my notes. And she sends out the song list, and nine times out of ten, I pay no attention to what it is. I mean, I read it, but I don't <laughs> meditate on it, right? I'm not singing it. I could tell you this, one of the songs I know we sang today is Great, Great Are You, Lord, the one that Marty led. And you know what's so cool about that? Two weeks ago, we were in small group. Two weeks ago, we were in small group, and we were talking about worship, and we were talking about songs and stuff like that. And Terry and I were, were talking, and I, we were talk, this song came up, and I said, I love that song. We haven't done it in a while. And I said, I love when Mel sings this song. Terry said, Marty sings that song. I said, I love when Marty sings that song. <laughs> <coughs> tell you, I'm so, close, so zoned in. And uh, I said, man, we're going to have to do that. But that was two weeks ago, and I knew I was going to be gone that Sunday. I said, I'm going to have to say something. You remember that? I said, I'm going to have to say something to Mel about singing that song. So this morning, she sent out the song list on Thursday, I think. Is that right? So this morning, I'm putting the songs in the overhead, load them in, and I see great. I said, oh, man, that's awesome. I said, Mel, did we talk about that? She said, no. She said, just the Lord. I said, hallelujah. He's so good. He's so good to me. But I said all that to say, we are so blessed that we don't just pull songs out of the air. We don't do, I mean, Mel gets with the Lord to say, God, what is for us for this day? Right? You understand what I'm saying? Because we're intentional. And, uh, and it, it's not like she has to fast and pray and say, okay, God, I need to hear from heaven. The heavens are brass and all, no. It can come out of just the relationship she has with him. It may not be any fast and prayer. It may not be a whole lot of prayer time into it. She just goes, all right, I'm going to put it together. Lord, what do you want? Are you with me? And uh, that's that lifestyle of intimacy with him where worship is just what is the natural fruit. It's not a product. It's not anything you produce. It's fruit that comes because of the life that's in you. See, he didn't say that we were a factory that needed to produce something. He said that he's the vine and we're the branch. And if we stay connected to the vine, life will come out of us. So it's not us producing anything. It's us bringing forth fruit that's already in us. 
That's good stuff. And he said, you are, because you are sons, who sent? God sent. God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Romans chapter 8. I'll just read it to you instead of trying to say it and messing it up. I'll just read it to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed... The Spirit of God dwells in you. And you can go, you know, Romans 8, 1, is there, there's therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then there's some, uh, you get to here to verse 9. He said, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So what is he saying? <clears throat> the determining of whether you are in the Spirit or not is not how well you perform. It's not how holy you are to prove that Holy Spirit lives in you. He didn't say any of that. He said, he said, but you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now look at this. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So when I read that, it was like I read it for the first time this week. And it was, man, I just, in my mind, in my heart, it just went off. The reason he could say in John that the same works that Jesus did, greater works than these would we do because he goes to the Father's because he said, I'm going to the Father, but my spirit is going to be in, in you. Not just in you, in you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. He said, my spirit, the same spirit. He says here, I didn't. Romans 8, verse 9. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ. So who does he declare who the spirit is? Who is Holy Spirit? He's the spirit of of Christ. He's not a junior part of the Trinity. He's the spirit of, a, of Christ. Who's Christ? The anointed one, Messiah, the redeemer, the savior of mankind. His spirit, that spirit, the one that empowered Christ on the earth is same Holy Spirit that lives in me. And it's him that cries out. You know why the religious leaders couldn't stand Jesus? Because he called God Father. Not the Godfather. He called God Father. (laughs) Some people view him that way. You don't pay the money. (laughs) You don't put in the tithe. I'll cut your tires. (laughs) Right? I sent somebody to see you. His name Guido. (laughs) Angel Guido. (laughs) You'll get what's coming to me. No, he's God the Father. He said, and he sent the same spirit. What spirit? It was when Jesus was there by the river and John baptized him. And it said, when he came up, that the spirit of God descended on him as a dove and remained on him. And what was said? What was said from heaven when the spirit descended? He said, this is my beloved son. In him... I am well pleased. What had Jesus done? Been baptized. So it wasn't his works that, that uh, preceded this declaration of a son in whom he's well pleased. Jesus comes up out of the water. The Spirit of God descends upon him, and God speaks in a voice where they can hear and says, This is my beloved Son, in him I am well pleased. 
It's His Spirit that's been poured out in our hearts that calls us sons. And it's that same Spirit that says that we can cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa God. That we can come to Him, not of our works, but based on His finished work through Jesus Christ. That's the birthing of the church is that he said, you're going to have my spirit in you. So when you go, it's not just you going, it's me going. So this is the next thing the Lord spoke to me. I was all jacked up. I was excited. And, it, and then this sobering thought, he said, so when you're disobedient or reject what Holy Spirit says to you, it's no different than rejecting me or the Father. That's not condemnation. That's location. Because he said, it's the Spirit of Christ in you. So when he's leading you, see, that's why it's so important that as as we feel an unction from the Lord, that we're willing to just declare what the Lord has said, that we're willing to follow. Even if it doesn't make sense, we're willing to follow so that we can learn and hear his voice more clearly. Because he said that his spirit, Romans chapter 8, if you continue to read, uh, verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit, life because of righteousness. Wow. This is so good. Man. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So in Him, we died to sin. It has no authority over us anymore. It has no ability to separate us from God anymore because we died to it. That doesn't mean it's okay to live in sin. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we've been free from sin. It doesn't have authority over us anymore. <clears throat> but he said, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, listen, here's what, here's what <clears throat> his spirit in us does. Right here in the mortal, look at me. Your mortal body means the one that's earthbound. It doesn't mean you're, you're, uh, you're resurrected, your new body. We're going to get a glorified body. This is talking about your mortal. Mortal means earthbound. Are you with me? So he's talking here. He said, and if Christ is in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What is he saying? He said, as we tap into the power of his spirit on the inside of us, what comes out of him is life because that's who he is. He is life. He doesn't just give it. He's life and he's love. So as we set our eyes on him and as we live from the spirit within us, it affects this mortal body. Anybody in the room? Am I walking or am I leading? I need to know. Thank you. I just want to make sure. I don't want to leave anybody. So, and I want to give you testimony. So, <laughs> we stayed with Brianna and Tyler last week, right? They're very frugal in their living, and I thank God for that. They're, they're very frugal in their living, but to the fact that it was like we were asleep. We stayed with them, and we slept in a refrigerator. It was called an apartment. 
They have an older apartment that doesn't have central heat and air. It has baseboard heat and no air. <clears throat> we bought them a little floor unit because they can't have a window unit. So you, if you know what that is for those young people, you have no idea what baseboard heat is. Baseboard heat is there's this metal thing across the wall. You walk up and you turn this dial and that thing gets hot. <clears throat> it heats the room, right? All the heat comes from that metal thing on the wall. <laughs> and it heats the room. Well, they have the habit of they'll heat the room they're in. <laughs> and that's it. I even got called down by my daughter. Dad, did you leave the heater in the bathroom on? I did. <laughs> Thought I cut that thing off, but guess I didn't. <laughs> yep, you left it on all night. <laughs> Is that why it felt good when I got up in the morning? <laughs> I felt like Stephen. It's cold in here. And I'm hot-natured. I'm a hot-natured person. So we got up. We would get up, and we, we had our little room that we slept in, and we had the heat on it. But first night, we were just kind of playing where it is because baseboard heat is this. It's cold or hot. It's not really warm. It comes on, and it's Then it goes off, and it's cold, and it don't come on until it doesn't get hot again until it gets cold. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Thank God for central heat and air. <laughs> so that's our bedroom. Then I go out in the living room in the morning, and I'm doing my devotion, spending time with the Lord. And I noticed that I'm in sweatpants and long sleeve shirt and covered up and still cold. My nose feels like an ice cube. And I look over, and they cut the heat off when they go to bed. That took me two days to figure that out. That's how sharp I am. (laughs) (laughs) So, in the process of that cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, I began to get a little congested. It didn't really bothered me till the end of this week. And then Friday, I started sneezing like nobody's been. Nose running, sneezing. I said, no, nah, this ain't happening. Jesus, you're my healer, and I'm going to rest in you. I didn't go into all this warfare or anything like that. I just began to rest in the Lord. And then yesterday, uh, the sneezing was gone, but there was, it was almost like an inner ear deal going on. There was so much pressure in my head. I could look like this, and it felt like the room went, shh. So I just spent the day worshiping the Lord, I didn't go into warfare in the morning. I just declared my healing by the stripes of Jesus. And I began to study and just spend time with him. And here's what's so amazing. At lunchtime, Tina said, are you tired? I said, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just felt drained at lunchtime. But I went up, went, went into the Word and started studying. And last night, around 8 o'clock, I noticed that all, every symptom was gone. I hadn't been battling. I hadn't been struggling. I hadn't been commanding. I hadn't been binding. I hadn't been loosing. I was, you know what I was doing? I was spending time with him. I was just studying. I was reading this book, and then I would go back to my notes, and I was studying. I'd read some more, and I'd go back, and I would study. And the Word of God was just coming alive to me, and he was giving me these downloads and and things like that. And I I read, read this passage of Scripture and put it in my notes and didn't read it again. I put it in my notes about 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon and didn't go back to it, where he said that he who was raised... He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So what are you saying? What I'm saying is this. As I spent time with him, I didn't get caught up in what caused this mess or how I was going to get rid of it. I didn't do it. I just spent time with him. I rested in his presence. And you know what happened? Life was released into me. And I noticed last night before I went to bed, I was like, dang, I feel good. That morning, I felt like I got hit by a truck. 
I went through that. I didn't, I didn't lay down. <clears throat> if his life is in me, it, it's, it'll come out. So I don't just curl up and lay down. I didn't curl up and lay down. I, did, I was busy in the morning and then spent time in the afternoon. But what I'm telling you is this. Yes, I made confessions. I believe in confessions. I believe there's power in the tongue. I made confessions and agreed with the Word of God. But I didn't, I didn't fixate on that problem. Are you with me? I remember when John was um, taking uh, motorcycle uh, training, whatever you call it. <clears throat> Before he went to Africa, he went to a, what was it? Motorcycle safety course, stuff like this. And the guy, he said something that just, man, it resonated so strong with me. He told, the instructor said the reason that most people on motorcycles have wrecks is target fixation. It's because, say, a truck pulls out in front of them. All they can see is the truck. They don't see that three foot beside the truck, they can go straight and not hit anything. But they get fixed on the target, so guess what they hit? Target fixation. <laughs> They're just, all they can see is the truck. It's a truck. Instead of, if I just turn, I'm safe. Are you with me? And the same thing happens. I've seen it in my life. We can, there, there can be a struggle or a stronghold, and what we do is we fixate on it. Instead of resting in Him, spending time with Him, we fixate on this thing thinking we've got to produce something. Don't shout me down. I'm leading now. Y'all got to catch up. <clears throat> Instead of focusing on Him, because when we focus on Him, His life is released in us through His Spirit. Isn't that good? Man, that's how much he loves us. That It's his spirit. So verse, verse 13, let's continue reading. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So what is he saying? Holy Spirit wants to lead us as sons. He said, we won't, because we're dead to sin, we won't live in it anymore. Sin won't have its right of way. But he, did, he said, I will tell you this. If you live in a, <clears throat> a fleshly manner in sin, it'll kill you. Amen. <laughs> it'll kill you. Drink and drive. Sure, sooner or later, you'll get yours, and you're probably somebody else too. I'm not against you having a drink at home or anything like that? Oh, no, he didn't. I don't think that's a sin. Jesus turned the water into wine, not into grape juice. But he did say this, don't be drunk with wine where there's excess. You know what I know? <clears throat> Is it in this area, we were, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this Friday. In this area, drinking is the cardinal sin. <clears throat> you drink alcohol, you're you're just deceived by the devil. But we'll watch TV all night long. <clears throat> we'll gorge and be uh, uh, and overweight because of the food that we eat. We're on all these meds for our blood pressure, cholesterol, and all this stuff. And we say we're healthy, but you, it's because everything is suppressed and hidden through a medication. <clears throat> but you drink a little bit of wine, and you're a heathen from hell. Now, here's my thing. If you have to drink wine or beer or liquor to get away, it's a problem. If you have to watch TV to get away, it's a problem. You've put something. If you have to eat something to get away, do you understand what I mean by getting away? If it's your safe place, 
If you, whatever it is, you have to smoke a cigarette, whatever it is you have to do to get away, you've put something between you and intimacy with the Lord. So if that's wine, if that's TV, if that's, you can OD on TV. You can do a whole lot more damage. You do a whole lot more damage to your soul on TV than you will on a bottle of wine. Because you drink a bottle of wine, you get snookered, you get messed up, don't get drunk. He said don't. But if you did, you wake up, the next day you might feel it a little bit, but then it's, it'll be gone. But you, you get TV drunk, and that mess is in your mind from now on. If that's your diet, and that's what you feed on all the time. If it, you know, I, I hear this a lot. I hear it in youth. I hear it in, in older people. Talking about TV, we, we've always... I'm not meddling now. I'm just sharing. Okay? We've always had a standard. We don't watch anything above PG. <clears throat> just us. Because PGs now almost are. Right? This is my conviction. I am not pushing my conviction on you. I'm telling you where I am. Are you with me? I want you to understand. <clears throat> because what you see in that, it, you can say, well, it doesn't bother me. I've had people tell me, well, I don't hear those words. Or I don't see the sex scenes. I just don't pay any attention to them. That's not good. Okay, if you had any doubt, hear me. That's not good. That if you're numb to it, it's not good. Because it's being said, and you know what? You are hearing it. Now, you may not acknowledge it because you've heard it so much, you're just numb to it, but that doesn't mean it's okay. Call me meddling, call me what you want, but it's true. You know, I can prove it to you because I used to be one of those kids who listened to rock music and say, I don't listen to the lyrics. Anybody ever said that? But right now, if I had an unction, I could sing to you Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. <laughs> and you know how many years it's been since I heard Guns N' Roses in Paradise City? How old was we when? <laughs> There's some young adults in the room that weren't born then. <laughs> but it's there, and that's why I say you can overdose on TV a whole lot, and it'll stick with your soul, your mind, will, and emotions a whole lot more than what you drink. But anything that you put as a between you and the Lord to say, I've got to have this as my safe place. It's something that you've allowed to take a place in your life that doesn't belong there. He should be your only strong tower. He should be your shield and your exceeding great reward in Him only. Amen. So in that, anything that's taken to an extreme can become a sin. It doesn't have to be what we label sin in this area. It's... It, so I'm not about labeling things, but he said this, as we press into him, those things that are weights and those things that hold us down, they fall off. They fall off. They have no authority. Why? Because his life, every day we draw closer to him, his life is what's the reality in my life. And I'm, I, I'm a son that his spirit is leading. So I'm not living from a set of, rules and regulations, I'm living from a vibrant relationship with a loving God. 
And out of intimacy, as a son, I know the heart of my father, so I do what he does. That's what Jesus said. Does that, does that just amaze anybody other than me that Jesus said, I just do what I, I see my father doing? Can I tell you something? So good? Oh, Jesus, this is so good. Matthew chapter 11. Oh, man, this is good stuff. I'm glad it's still early. <clears throat> Uh, you go to Matthew 11. I'm going to continue reading in Romans 8 because he said, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Daddy, Papa, Father. Listen, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. What he's saying is this, when you understand that you're a son, that his spirit is who's leading you, it's his life that flows through you, that then if you face something that others would call suffering, he goes, you know what, he's worthy because he's greater than this, and this too shall pass. For I consider, verse 18, the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Listen, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is waiting for sons to stand up and say, he's my father, and here's what he said. Creation is waiting. The lost is waiting for a church that will worship in spirit and in truth. Because when the spirit... Church worships in spirit and in truth. It's not lyrics we sing. It's this Father that we are intimate with, and that affects the whole atmosphere of the room. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. He said sons are led by their spirit, right? Right? Matthew 11. This is so good. Matthew 11, verse 27. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. So here's Jesus. He's teaching. This in red. Jesus is teaching, and he said this. All things have been delivered to me by Father, and no one knows the Father except the uh, no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. Look, there's a comma and an and. <clears throat> you know what an and is? Conjunction. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? So it's linking two thoughts together, right? He said, no, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So, Jesus speaking, he said, no one knows the Father except whom the Son reveals him to. And what's the next thing he says? Come to me. Oh, come on. I've read this passage over and over and over again. I've preached this passage many times, but this weekend, it just came alive to me. He said, if you want to know the Father, come to me. What is this passage? What's the context of this passage right here? The context of this passage is Jesus saying, take my yoke and learn of me. Right? Yeah, it is. I'll continue reading. <laughs> come to me, all you the laboring are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said this. He said, no one knows the Father but me, so come. Yoke yourself to me. And as you yoke yourself to me, you'll move with me. You'll know what the Father's doing. How? Because his spirit, the spirit of Christ, who's been, who's, is who's been poured out in our hearts. Man, that's good. Does that make sense? Did, did I get myself worked up over something you didn't even get? I need to know. Because <clears throat> that's not what I want. <laughs> what he said is this. You can't, the only way you know the Father is through the Son. Then he says, come to me, and I'll reveal him to whoever comes to me. When you come to me and you yoke yourself to me, how do we yoke ourselves to Jesus now? Through the Holy Spirit, through that empowering of Holy Spirit in us. And as we grow in intimacy and relationship with him, we learn of him. So we learn what the Father's doing, and therefore we do what he's doing. That's why John 14, 12 says, Greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. Why? Because he said, when you yoke yourself to me through the Holy Spirit, do you understand? That's why Acts, when he said, go wait in Jerusalem till you be endued with power, he said, because there's a purpose to the power. It's so that you can be sons. And so that we can walk as sons on the earth. And as we walk as sons on the earth, creation itself is looking for us. It's groaning, waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. But as they were gathered there, in, in uh, the upper room, they didn't know what it was going to look like. But Jesus said, just wait, and when he comes, you'll know. <laughs> when he comes, you'll know. You know, as I was, uh, I wish this illustration was birthed from me, but it wasn't. It was from my buddy, uh, Adam. He was talking about sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, and, and then he said, you know, the way the Lord showed me, Todd, he said, it's just like uh, dancing. He said, if, if you'll allow him to take lead and you'll move when he moves, then you'll learn to flow with him. He said, but like any good dancer, they're not going to tolerate with two people trying to be the lead. I was like, that's so good. That if you're, if you're bound and determined, you're going to lead. You know what? He'll just hold on till the end of the song. <laughs> but that's not his heart. <clears throat> his heart is to, to lead. And when he does, it's a beautiful dance. <laughs> it ain't like none of that dancing with the stars. Jump. Excuse me. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Ah, let me see. I'll close with this. John 14, another familiar passage of Scripture. Verse 16, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. So we've heard even today, he's Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of Christ. He's spirit of truth, right? Yes, you have. Yes, you're wondering. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Listen, I will not 
leave you orphans. What's the next thing he says? <clears throat> Who will come? I will come to you. So when we say we want the power of Holy Spirit evident in our lives, it's Christ Jesus who said, I will. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. Who will come? He, see, he said spirit of truth, but then he clarifies who spirit of truth is. I will come to you. Man, that's good. I mean, I'm just saying, we read about Jesus and we see what he said and we think about the, the 12 that walked with him and got to see him. And that was awesome and challenging all in the same point. You got to be real, right? I mean, it would have been awesome to walk with him and to see what he was doing and things like that. But you also had to deal with the, the, the crowd and everything else and the, the Pharisees and all that. Are you with me? But here he said, I'm going to give you, I will give you spirit of truth. So we saw earlier in Galatians, he said, God will give you. Do you see the unity in the Trinity working to get Christ in us, which is the hope of glory? Huh? Man, that's so rich. It just, my spirit, man, leaps on the inside when I understand. He said, I will come to you. So that's why he said that you'll have, you won't have need for anyone to teach you. He's not saying we don't need teachers, but what he's saying is that you won't have to have someone to explain it to you, every little thing, if you'll come, because I am the Word, and I'll reveal myself to you. How does that come? Through intimacy. Through dancing with him. Learning his voice, learning his leading, learning his mood. And that's what he desires for us.